Let's talk about our uh, message for today. I'm a big movie guy. Who, who's a movie person in here? Big movie guy. I'm also a, a musician trained um, in undergrad, and I love music, and I've always loved music uh, movie soundtracks. You know what I'm saying? Like, a movie can be significantly better if the soundtrack is really good. Yeah. Wasn't sure, but okay. Um, now I feel affirmed. I thank you. But something there's there's an interesting thing. You have soundtracks, yes, and then you also have all those people. I don't even know what they're called, but all the people that do like the walking sounds. You know what I'm saying? Like the sound editing people, and like the door that opens, and it's like it's like the creak of the door, and they're doing all of that kind of stuff. And something that's interesting about movies is that that soundtrack and that audio really becomes kind of a a storyteller in and of itself in the movies. For instance, let's say that you have the hero or the heroine is walking down um, a, 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 um, a, what am I trying to say? A hallway. There's the word, Jamie. Walking down a hallway, and let's say that the music is like really happy and fun. You know what I'm saying? And they're walking towards a door, and the door, you can't see what's behind the door, but you hear happy and fun music. What do you feel as you're walking, watching this woman walk down the hallway? Are you feeling good? You're feeling good. Like, yeah, oh, that's nice, that's nice. But what happens if it's really ominous? And maybe like violins or, and she's walking down a hallway, and there's a door right there. What do you start to feel? Like anxious, and like, ugh, what is this? What's behind the door? What's going on? And actually, um, the exact same scene, a woman walking down the hallway towards a door can feel different based off of the soundtrack behind it. Are y'all hearing me right now? There's a little thing called condemnation that functions as a soundtrack for many people's lives. In fact... It causes people to think things like this. God's going to come get me someday. And not in a good way. I did that thing again. It's only a matter of time till he... There's an underlying sense. You know, I I, I, I think a lot of the anxiety that's in our culture right now is related to an underlying sense of concern related to condemnation. And in the church, here's the truth about you in Christ. You are free from condemnation. That's what the the gospel says. And we're going to look at that today. What does it mean that one of our identities by grace through faith in Christ, one of the identities that we walk in is that we are free from condemnation. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. One of our identities that we are free, free from condemnation. We're in a series on identity, looking at what the Bible says about us, and um, the theme passage for this series is this, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. 
passage says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. That passage is saying, and the, and the big idea of this series from this passage is this. We have a creator, we have a redeemer, and he has fashioned us and he has purchased us by his own blood. We are his and he defines us. Not, somebody say not. Not, not the world, not friends, not family, not your accomplishments, not even yourselves. We are his kids and knowing what the Father thinks about us will change everything. So we've been walking through different identity statements. And we're actually starting a mini-series uh, mini within this big series where we're going to walk through Romans chapter 8. Probably going to take us three or four weeks. We're just going to walk right through it. Romans chapter 8. And we're starting today with the identity we are free from condemnation. So the message is in four parts. Number one, we're just going to walk through the first 13 verses of Romans chapter 8. I'm just going to look at it and say, what is Paul saying here? What is he saying? These 13 verses. Number two, want to address some implications. What are some implications of this text? What are some truths from this text about our lives? And how would it be that we would live free from condemnation? Thirdly, we'll have some practical application. And then finally, we're going to have some ministry time and pray and worship the Lord together. That sound good? We've prayed a lot, but it's always good to keep praying, so I'm going to pray again. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your love, that you so loved the world that you gave your only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. You sent this son into the world not to condemn the world, <laughs> but to save the world through him. And Jesus, we honor you. We honor you. You are our creator and our king and our savior and redeemer. We honor you here this morning. And Holy Spirit, you are the great teacher. You are the great reminderer of Jesus' words. And I ask that you will come now. Come now and speak. We give you this time, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 13. I'm just going to walk right through the text. We'll make some comments. What is Paul saying in this text Romans 1 through 13. Let's read the first two verses. Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So a couple of definitions. The word condemnation means literally from Laonida, the semantic dictionary, literally means to judge someone as definitely guilty and thus subject to punishment. That's what that word means. To, to say that someone is condemned, to condemn someone, the verb of this noun, is to say this person is definitely guilty 
And here's the punishment. It's, it's the picture of a courtroom, and the judge says, you are guilty, and now I'm sentencing you to blah, 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 whatever it is, okay? That's the, that's the kind of feel that we have right now. Courtroom, guilty. You, there's no not guilty verdict. It's guilty, and there is punishment due to the person who's guilty. So we're all clear on, on kind of what this feels like, like the, the, the smell and the taste of this condemnation. <laughs> he says, there is therefore now no. <laughs> there, there is none of this. There is no condemnation. There is no punishment for guilty people. And, and who are these people? It's in the text. For those who are what? In Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, how, how can this be? What? what What's the mechanism here? Verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit of life. It's interesting. Paul pits spirit of life, spirit of death. And he pits them against each other. It's like one or the other. And he begins to describe this thing. The law of the spirit of life, the law of sin and death. And in one, there is guilt and condemnation. In one, there is life and freedom, he says. And then he's going to actually explain more and more. Let's look at verse 3. How, how is this spirit, by the way, the third member of the Trinity, God, fully God, the spirit. How, how does this actually happen? Verse 3 and 4. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So there's a lot going on and it, and it takes an entire reading of Romans to really follow exactly what he's saying. But Paul has been talking about the law itself. And everyone knows this. If you tell your kiddo, don't do this thing, what is your kiddo going to do? They're going to do the thing. And, and the reason that happens is because of the sin nature. So if there's a law, the sin nature inside of me goes, uh-uh, I'm doing that thing. Right? If there's a law that says, don't do this, the sin nature goes, oh, we're going to do it now. We're, and you start doing it. That's literally what happens. Everyone knows this feeling. Even if we know it's going to hurt us, we're like, I'm, I'm, I, we'll go to Mexican food restaurants, and they'll be like, hot plate. And I'm like, you know, like, like, I want to touch this thing. Y'all know what I'm saying? And Paul's been talking about throughout the book of Romans up to this point. And he says it here that the law was weakened by the flesh. Obviously, the law is given by God. There's nothing weak about the law, right? Right, right. Let's, let's be real clear. When God established laws, there's nothing weak about it. What happens is the law actually exposes our sinful nature in such a way that we realize, oh, I can't obey that law because of the sinful nature that I have. That's what Paul has been saying up to this point, in addition to many other things in the book of Romans. So there is a problem here. We have a law, and the covenant is such that if you obey this law, you will have life and you will have freedom, and it will be great. Problem is, because of original sin, actually, we cannot obey this law. So actually, when we try to obey, we hear the law, we actually disobey it immediately. And he says, 
And he's explaining that God actually has a solution to this. Verse 3 again. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. How? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order, why? That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What is he saying? He's saying this. We have a perfect law. God has established, if you obey this law, everything will be good. We'll be in community. We'll be reconciled. Everything will be fine. You have to obey this law. You have to be holy because I'm holy. Because of our sin nature, actually, as soon as we hear the law, we actually don't obey it at all. That's the problem. So what God does is actually says, look, humanity, when it hears the law, actually sins against the law immediately, the sin nature. And God says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm actually going to come in flesh. I'm actually going to come as them. A human being, God in human flesh, I'm actually going to enter into creation and I'm going to fulfill the law perfectly. And Jesus came and obeyed the law of God perfectly. He did nothing wrong. He actually did what humanity was supposed to do. And then he's crucified on a cross. He's innocent and is crucified on a cross. Why? Well, somebody has to pay for the sinful nature and the sin of humanity. Jesus comes nailed to the cross, taking the payment for the transgression of the law for, for, that we all have committed. So Jesus on the cross actually is dying in your place for your breaking of the law. And he's buried in the ground. And actually, our sin and debt is actually put in the ground with him. And he's raised from the dead, victorious over your sin and my sin. Your brokenness and my brokenness. He's resurrected. He comes up out of the ground and the sin is dead there. The brokenness is dead there. The sinful nature is dead there. And he comes out and he says, come on here to me and you will find life. Come to me and you will find this life. I actually lived the life you should have lived. And on the cross, I died the death. You should have died. But if you'll come to me, I will actually give you my life. I will take your death. That's what Jesus does. That's what Paul just said right here. So let me just say something to you. Condemnation, being guilty and deserving punishment, listen to me, by grace through faith in Christ. When we come to Jesus, actually, he is guilty for us in our place. He actually takes the punishment that we deserve in our place for us. That means that God has exhausted the punishment that we deserve in himself. God has taken out all the condemnation in himself. He has none left for you if you have come to faith in Christ. Does that make sense? That, so there is no more condemnation for you. Otherwise, God didn't get the job done. If I'm in Christ, why would I walk around thinking, he's still going to get me? No, no, no. He got me in Christ. He has worn out all the wrath that he has towards my sin and your sin. He wore it all out on himself. There is none left. There's no condemnation. In fact, you are free from it. Why? Because you come to church? No, no, because you put your faith in Christ. 
You are free from condemnation. Oh, 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 because you give money and like you're very, you know, benevolent? No, because you put your faith in Christ. Are you free from condemnation because you're a good parent and good at work and a good Christian person? No, you are free from condemnation because you've put your faith in Christ and he took all the condemnation there is towards your sin. You are free. You are free. By grace, through faith, in Christ. Verses 5 and 6, let's keep going. (laughs) Some of y'all are about to get set free in your mind and in your heart today. (laughs) Like, if, if you can actually just get this and then walk in it, it will literally change your life. Verse 5 and 6. For those who live according to the flesh. By the way, NIV has done a really helpful thing with the word flesh. Uh, to call it sinful nature. And that's a really, really helpful thing. Uh, sometimes people, when they hear Paul, because Paul is always, uh, he's always pitting the flesh and the spirit against one another. And it, it creates sometimes in people's minds that they think that this is evil. Right? I mean, this could be more buff. There's no doubt. Right, right Ross? It could be. It could, uh, but it's not evil. It's not evil. Are you all see what I'm saying? But when we look at a text, we say, well, it's because of the flesh. We're like, ugh. So my body is evil. No, no. He's talking about the sinful nature that is within us. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Okay. We'll keep going. Sorry, Ross. Didn't mean to call you out, bro. For those who live according to the flesh or the sinful nature set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So as we're walking through life, if you set your mind on the sinful nature, by the way, that's been taken care of, but you do know that those habits are still at play in my life, right? I'm positionally justified. No condemnation. But you know what? Jamie is really used to being a really bad person, right? <laughs> Y'all are like, yeah, we know you, Jamie. <laughs> Absolutely. You got some problems. But see, we have habits and behaviors, ways of thinking about things, ways of 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 talking to one another, generational things through our family, ways that we do things. And actually, we can actually begin to think in a sinful nature according to the flesh, even though we are, there's no condemnation. And he's saying, listen, you have a choice. At any moment in life, you can actually be thinking according to the flesh or thinking according to the Spirit. But when he's talking to Christians here. <laughs> he's going he's to explain it. Because I, I know that's a little bit abstract. He's going to explain it. Because how would it be that... have setting your mind on the things of the Spirit, how, in fact, would that help you in your behavior? Well, he explains it. Verse 7 to 9. For the mind that is set on the flesh, the sinful nature, is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Let me, let me just make a real quick statement here. Just a quick tangent. Uh, uh, as, as a church, we, we believe in the continuation of the gifts, which means that we believe that all the gifts are still operative today. Prophecy, healing, tongues, interpretation, all of it. Even the quote-unquote so-called supernatural gifts. Some, some groups think that those have passed away. 
course, the Bible doesn't say that. So we believe in the continuation of those gifts. But some in that stream who believe in the continuation of the gifts also hold to another position that we do not hold in this church. And that is this, that when you come to faith in Christ, that you don't yet have the Spirit. That's a position that's held by some continuationists. That I will actually come to faith in Christ, I'm converted, but I don't have the Spirit yet. I need a subsequent experience, and it usually involves tongues. Then I know I have the Spirit. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is a, this is a belief within some in the continuationist stream. Primarily Assembly of God, Pentecostals. I love, I love those brothers and sisters. I just disagree with this. What Paul is saying here, you're not in Christ if you don't have the Spirit. So it's important that we understand, when you come to faith in Christ, you have the full Spirit of God. <laughs> and then there are subsequent experiences. Oh, yes. In fact, Paul says, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. So I'm just just making a quick tangent just to say, there's some who say you can be converted but not have the Spirit, not according to the text. I come to faith in Christ, I have the Spirit fully. Are there more experiences? Absolutely. Could I have experiences every single day being filled more and more? Yes, yes, and amen. But it's not a JV Christian, then I have this experience with tongues, now I'm a full varsity Christian. Does that make sense? So again, just a tangent. Just want to make sure to address that. Okay. I'm going to look at this text, make sure I got it. 10 and 11. But if Christ is in you, that is by the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the indwelling of the Spirit now. Verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is a promise that at the resurrection, the spirit of God dwelling within me actually will make me into a new creature. (laughs) It'll be a physical bodily resurrection. That's actually the work of the spirit within me. Verse 12 and 13. So then, brothers and sisters... We are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Verse 13, so important. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. What's he describing? He's describing that it's like those infomercials where they give you a deal and they're like, but there's more. <laughs> Not only is guilt taken away, there's no condemnation. Now, we still have law, right? I still have habits and behaviors. It's like, Ugh, what do I do? Now, not only that, no more guilt, no more punishment, no more condemnation. Now, I'm actually going to come and dwell inside of you. This is God. God's going to come and dwell inside of me and actually give me the capacity to want to obey. So actually... Not only am I free, no condemnation, but now I actually have the actual resources it takes to obey God's law. It's amazing. You will not obey God's law without the Spirit of God. That's what the text says. This this is why it's so strange. Uh, Sometimes we're super judgy as Christians because we will look at somebody who, who who is not indwelt with the Spirit, and then we're judging them like, well, why don't they obey the law? Technically, cannot cannot. Are y'all hearing me? (laughs) Like literally cannot. That's what the text just said. You you need the Spirit of God to change your desires to desire and actually obey God. 
So why would I look at someone and be like, I cannot believe it? Actually, you should believe it. That's what the Bible says. It's a biblical worldview. The solution is not, hey, you should change before you get to be a part of our club. Actually, you should come to Christ, then he will change you. It's too much judginess. See, judginess in the church betrays the fact that we think that we're obeying God in our own strength. Actually, you need God himself to obey God. You actually need the Spirit of God so that you can obey him. You won't love God. You won't worship God. You won't be able to even desire to obey God unless God gives it to you supernaturally. So why would I look at someone else and be like, you are such a piece of trash. I'm amazing. No, you're not. You just have the spirit of the living God within you, giving you the desire and the capacity to obey God. All right, some implications. Implications from the text. Number one, outside of faith in Christ, the feeling of condemnation is to be expected. Like condemnation is a thing. Tim Keller will tell a story um, when, he, when he describes uh, or uses an illustration. I think it's really helpful. Let's say that someone is driving a car and they crane off the road and then they smash into um, someone's house and just destroy like half of their house. And let's say that, that person then goes to the judge and is going to be sentenced or, or declared guilty for this crime. And let's say that the judge just goes, no problem, no problem, no problem, it's fine, no problem. Well, the house is still broke down, right? Like somebody has to pay to repair the house. Does, does that make sense what I'm saying? You, 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 the judge can't just go, it's fine, it's, it's no problem. Well, what about the dude's house that's broke down? The gospel is as if the judge looks at this individual and goes, I'm going to actually set you free. You're no longer uh, uh, guilty for this crime. And then the judge actually comes down and actually pays for the repair of the house. Yeah. See, some, someone actually is going to pay. It's either Jesus or it's the one who has not accepted Jesus. Like, condemnation is a real thing. This is, and and I, know in our, I know even in our church culture, like, we don't like the doctrine of hell. I don't like the doctrine of hell, but that doesn't mean that it's not true. Like, I, I would prefer that that's not there. But actually, if, if someone dies outside of faith in Christ, actually, they are eternally separated from God, and they're experiencing the condemnation of God, eternal separation from God. So, so condemnation is a real thing. I think that's why our culture is feeling such this. I think it's a part of it. They're actually experiencing, like, there's, there's condemnation coming. Outside of faith in Christ, condemnation is to be expected. First implication. Second implication. If you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, the feelings of condemnation are illegitimate and they are not from God. Because you are free from condemnation. So if you are experiencing condemnation, that is illegitimate. And it's not from God. And that's a big truth to let settle into your heart, friend. 
I think a lot of Christians walk around feeling condemned when Jesus has taken all their condemnation for them. I think a lot of Christians are walking around just like, is he going to get me today? And it betrays they do not understand the gospel good news. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm just saying in that moment, you are living in such a way that you do not understand the gospel for your life right then. I want to encourage you. If you have a thought that enters your brain, if you are in Christ, and you have a thought that enters your brain, oh, he's going to get me for that one. How could he get you? He got Jesus for you. Right? Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, he's going to... Uh, tomorrow, because I did this one thing. It's almost like some sort of weird, like, karma thing that we do. Like, I did this one bad thing, so he's going to get me tomorrow. What? You don't understand gospel. He can't get you tomorrow. He got Jesus then for you. Third implication. When you do sin against God, let's just be realistic, right? and you feel conviction for sin, that's a different matter. Did you know that condemnation and conviction are two different things? See, condemnation is I sin against God, and now I'm like, God's going to pour his wrath out on me and punish me for this. That's condemnation. Conviction is I sin against God, and then I, I am grieved by the fact that my relationship with him has been hindered now. I'm not a it is not my understanding that he's now going to smite me. It's my understanding that now we've been distanced relationally. I, I feel conviction that my relationship with the Father has been hindered and hurt. And conviction says, I'm going to approach the throne of grace with great confidence. I'm going to confess my sin. And he, was, he will be faithful and just to forgive me my sin and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Does that make sense? So conviction of sin and a grieving of the Lord and a... a a, a distancing and a relationship with God is different than condemnation. Oh no, he's going to smite me tomorrow because I did that thing. One is relationally driven and one is punishment driven. One is conviction, the other is condemnation. So yes, yes, if you sin against the Lord, it grieves me because my relationship with the Father, Son, and Spirit is now, there's something has now broken that relationship in such a way that I want that to be restored. So we confess our sin and we return to Jesus. Fourth implication. All of this stuff that I'm talking about, walking in freedom, resisting temptation, growing in Christ-likeness, all of that is not a solo activity, but it is in partnership with the Holy Spirit that dwells within I want to encourage some of you. Some of you, when you're tempted, you, and, and I've done this. I do, I do this more than I should. When temptation comes, sometimes I will enter into, all right, I'm just, I'm just going to fight this temptation. And it becomes about Jamie versus temptation, right? Or Jamie said we should walk in freedom, so I'm just I'm going to walk in freedom. I, I just want to say something leveling to you. Your Christian walk is not about you and your behavior. It's about the Spirit of God dwelling within you and you partnering with Him. You want to you resist temptation? You know what the best way to do that? Holy Spirit, I am being tempted. Help me not to do this thing. Yeah. 
And you know what the Holy Spirit, he's literally given to us, God, God himself inside. And he's like, yep, let's do this over here, Jamie. Like literally the Spirit of God is given to us. So when temptation comes, don't go solo. Don't try to run in there like you're going to go do something. You ain't going to do jack. You need the Spirit of God? Oh, I'm going to resist this temptation. I'm going I'm to get these processes and accountability, blah, blah. No, you're not. You need the Spirit of God. This is what the text says. <laughs> Without the Spirit of God, you are not obeying, resisting temptation. You're not walking in freedom. You're not obeying God. So partner with the Spirit. I want to encourage you to consider yourself a partner with the Holy Spirit in this walk of freedom and identity, resisting temptation and obeying God. Fifth implication, obedience. Oh, this is so good. This is so good. It's so good because I have done the opposite of this for decades of my Christian walk. Obedience to God's word is not punishment for sin. There have been times in my walk where I would disobey God. I would confess, and then I would begin to obey the law, and, I, and obeying God felt like penance to pay off the punishment for what I did. Are you following me right now? Like, I sinned against God. Maybe I confessed, maybe I didn't confess. And then I started to read my Bible as a way to pay down. Like in my, I don't know that I would say it, but in my mind, I was reading the Bible or praying or going to church or doing whatever I'm doing as a way to lessen the punishment for my sin. But actually, no, 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 no. Obedience to God flows from forgiveness and righteousness. I don't obey God to lessen the punishment. The punishment has been exhausted in Jesus. So if I read the Bible and pray, the enemy comes in and makes me think somehow that, oh, if I pray twice as long today, it will somehow lessen the punishment and his anger towards me. But actually, his anger was exhausted in Jesus. He has nothing but delight in me. So why wouldn't I pray to the one who delights in me? This is a significant mental shift in the mind. That's redundant, mental shift in the mind. You know what I'm saying? It's significant, people. Because some of us, I'm not pointing fingers, some of us obey thinking that's penance and punishment rather than delighting in obeying God. <laughs> you see, when I realize there is no condemnation, not only is he not mad at me, the Father delights in me. Why, because I'm a pastor? Nope, because I put my faith in Jesus. <laughs> when I realize that, and then I read in his word, oh, by the way, treat people this way. I'm like, absolute. I would love to do that. I would love to be who you created me to be. You see, obedience to God actually brings life, not death. But I tell you, it becomes religion if I obey God to lessen the punishment somehow because I don't understand gospel good news. Okay, sixth. Sixth implication, 
living free from condemnation. Not only is it good for you, it's good for all the people around you. You ever been around that person, super religious, and then also putting all their religion on you? Well, you know, I mean, (laughs) you know, you should. Or when we're not free, actually, we will look at family members and friends, and we will actually try to get them to bring us the peace that actually we just need in Christ. And so we actually destroy relationships with other people. Because we expect friends, family, parents, others to provide for us what Jesus provides for us. That feeling of wholeness and security and satisfaction. You actually destroy relationships. But if you, if you actually walk freely, and then you're looking at people and saying, you know what, you can walk freely too? This is great? Actually, your relationships take on vibrancy rather than a, a using them to make you feel better. Oh, I'm, I'm super anxious, so now I start looking at all my friend group, looking at church members, looking at my parents, trying to get them to make me feel better. But actually, you are free. So don't use the people around you. Jesus has died for you in your place. Significant implication. All right, let's close it. Application. Whether you are in Christ or whether you are outside of Christ right now, So some of you may have not placed your faith in Jesus, and we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. But whether you are in Christ or outside of Christ, the answer is still the same. Come to Jesus. Whether you are experiencing condemnation or conviction, the answer is to come to Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, and I will bring you life. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. So the answer to everything in life is whether I've sinned against God and I'm experiencing conviction or I sin against God and I'm experiencing condemnation for that sin, the answer is come to Jesus. It's not come to Marymount Church, not come to a church service, not come to some Christian radio station, not start giving. It is none of those things. It is come to Jesus. That is looking at Jesus and saying, you have died for me in my place. I want to put my life in your hands now. You're the boss. You're the boss. I'm following you. There's a loyalty thing. Like, I'm with Jesus. He died for me and was raised for me. I'm with that guy. And that's the answer, whether you're a believer or not. <laughs> like tomorrow, actually, like at 1230 this afternoon, when you sin, the answer is, I'm with that guy. I'm confessing my sin, and I'm returning to that guy. I'm returning to Jesus. So I just want to encourage you, from a practical standpoint, Jesus Confessing sin, returning to Jesus, that is the answer. Secondly, partner with the Holy Spirit. I cannot stress this enough. Technically, the Father and the Son are in heaven right now. The Son is interceding on our behalf to the Father. I know I pointed up to heaven. That's not really true because it's not spatial, but you know what I'm saying. God, the Father and the Son are in heaven. The Son is interceding on our behalf to the Father right now. Technically, God, who's here, is the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. He dwells within believers. And he has been given to us to resist temptation, walk in freedom, obey God, and become Christ-like. I want to encourage you to begin to foster a relationship with the Holy Spirit where he is actually a mentor, coach, sanctifier, teacher, rather than some weird force thing that Jamie keeps talking about on Sunday mornings. 
Does that make sense? Actually, the Spirit is a person. Actually, you can have relationship with God, the Spirit. And oh, by the way, that's the one relationship that helps you walk in freedom. It's the one relationship that helps you resist temptation. It's the one relationship, as you gaze at Jesus, literally the Spirit of God is making you more like the one you gaze upon. That's 2 Corinthians. That's just straight scripture. I look at Jesus, and I'm following him, and the Spirit is changing me on the inside to look like the one I behold. He's a big deal. He's a really big deal. And it's not a charismatic thing. It's a triune doctrine thing. The Holy Spirit is fully God, and he dwells within believers. Why? To help us walk in freedom, resist temptation, obey God, become like Jesus. So I I want to encourage you to partner. The text says, by the Spirit, to put to death the deeds of the body. That is, those sinful behaviors and habits that literally you and the Holy Spirit are killing off sin in your life. Like it is an aggressive, the, 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 things, the things that the Spirit has done in my life are aggressive and painful and amazingly beautiful to kill things in me that I love so much that I coddled. I'm going to give an analogy and then we'll be done. I was, uh, I was looking at, I don't know why I came across this, but I saw a picture, you know, you know Michelangelo's David, the marble statue, 17 feet tall, chiseled out of one marble block. I mean, that's stud boss status if you're doing that. David, and he's all looking majestic, and he's got his hand out here. You know, It's also, you know, don't watch it with kids because it's a little graphic. Anyway, I mean, if you're going to Google it, just, you know, without kids. But I was looking at this, sorry. I was looking at this image, and I was reminded of, um, I was reminded of, I don't know if it was Michelangelo who it was, but they were saying, you know, that, that they will look at this giant piece of stone, and they could see the David that was going to be in there. The, the challenge was, I got to cut away all the stuff that's not David in there. And as I saw that, I just, I, I felt like from the Spirit, that's what he's doing in our life. Jamie, the Jamie that God has created me to be and then purchased me to be, no condemnation, fully walking in freedom as Jesus is in here somewhere and the Spirit and I are like, like carving out the stuff that doesn't look like Jesus. And there's coming a day when I see Jesus face to face, it's like the Jamie Jesus, where I become exactly like the one I see. But until that time, the Spirit is given to chisel and cut away all of this stuff. So I want to encourage you. When you find yourself in a situation where you feel conviction about sin, yes, confess sin, go to Jesus, absolutely, yes and amen. Also, ask the question, Holy Spirit, if you want to ask Jesus, fine. There are three but one, it's fine. Jesus, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do in my life that has been exposed by this sin? And how do you want to make me like Jesus in this situation? So that instead of seeing failure and sinning and as a failure, 
and I'm just drudging through. Actually, that's an opportunity to actually have a conversation with Jesus and the Holy Spirit and talk through strategy. Like have a goal-setting strategy session with the divine God of the universe about your sin and how he wants to chisel away and, and bring David out. That's what he wants to do. We're, we're in stone. It's this sin habit stone thing. And we're partnering with the Spirit to cut and actually bring freedom. We're actually, I can actually move. I'm not encumbered by sin. Those weights that so easily entangle. So I bless you with this. We're going to take a few moments. I want to highly encourage you to come to Jesus. I want to highly encourage you to ask him this question. What, what needs to happen for me to walk free of condemnation? And to leave condemnation here and to walk out free of it.